From St. Matthew's Gospel, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, here we are. Here I am. We are in the season of Advent, Advent chapter 2. And if you were here last week, you heard from our very capable assistant that See, the season of Advent, the four weeks prior to Christmas, is about expectation and waiting. And it's not about waiting for baby Jesus to be born, because, well, that's already happened, right? I will be 51 in 12 days, 51 years old, God willing. Nobody has yet sent me a card waiting for me to be born. We will have no congratulations on the birth of your son party for my mom. Nothing. You know Why? I've already been born. We are not here to celebrate the birth of Jesus. We are here to celebrate and be mindful of and be reminded of not his first coming, friends, but his second coming. The end of the world. Woohoo! And if you don't know that, a lot of churches, I was at the mall with my wife this past Friday. I did my Christmas shopping, all 25 minutes of it at the mall. And... uh, and there's a church there that I won't name uh, that had all this stuff about baby Jesus. I'm like, wait a minute. Advent is not about baby Jesus. Advent is about the second coming of Christ, the end of the world. And here's the question for today. Is the end of the world something to fear or something to long for? And if you come to Trinity Church and you don't know that Advent is about the end of the world and you come here expecting baby Jesus and away in a manger and you hear John the Baptist say his wounding fork is in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Merry Christmas! You see what I'm saying? So here's the thing. We are going to talk all through Advent about the end of the world and what that means for you and I. Do we long for it or do we, do we fear it? And, and I mean, there's all sorts of movies and stories out there today about the end of the world. And I kind of like these, I'll be honest with you. Not because I've got a morbid curiosity, but I love the idea of society being held together and when things kind of break, everything falls apart. It just shows the tenuousness of the human existence. I mean, give you an example. Um, Just last week, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal about a Chinese man in China who died from the plague. The plague! Yes, the bubonic plague, the Black Death, that very same plague that wiped out almost all of medieval Europe. Ursina Pestis. That's the name of the plague, not the Chinaman. I don't know what his name was. But uh, here's the thing, man. It's back. It's back. And the Chinese officials quarantined 30,000 people in an effort to contain the bubonic plague. But friends, it goes without saying that if the Black Death makes an encore, we are, as Ariam would say, it will be the end of the world as we know it. Here's the question. It's a biggie, right? Is this something that we fear or something that we long for? And it may sound like a stupid question, which is why we're going to talk about it today. And the answer to that question depends on something very important, and that's this. Do you believe that the goal of this life is in this world or in the world to come? I'll say that again. 
The answer to that question depends upon whether you believe the goal of this world is here or in the world to come. So three points today from John the Baptist, who's actually, I love John the Baptist. I wouldn't invite him for dinner, but I love reading about him. And, uh, and here's what he says. He talks about suffering and the end of the world. Three things, he says. Paul, uh, John talks about the cause of our suffering, the cause of all suffering, the solution to our suffering, and then freedom from suffering. I'll say that again. John talks about the root cause of all suffering, yours and mine and everybody's. Root cause of our suffering, the solution to our suffering, that's going to surprise you, and then freedom from that suffering. So the first point today is, what is the root cause? The root cause. When you dig it all the way down, what is at the base of all human suffering? And here's actually the bigger question, which bothered me when I was about 24 years old. Why is there suffering in the world at all? Did you ever ask yourself that question? How come things just aren't like perfect? How come things just aren't great all the time? How come that t-shirt that I actually have one, life is good, how come that's just not true? You ever wonder that? Well, I'll tell you why it is. John the Baptist tells us why. John the Baptist, briefly, John the Baptist was, according to Jesus, the greatest prophet who ever lived. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, there is no man on earth greater than John the Baptist. What that means is John the Baptist was the greatest prophet that ever lived. What does that mean, Rodriguez? Well, a prophet is somebody who sees the world clearly. I'm going to say that again. A prophet is somebody who sees the world clearly, who looks out at the world and can see the root cause. Did you ever notice something? That you and I spend a lot of time, effort, and psychic energy. I don't mean psychic in the spiritual sense. I mean um, motivation and energy. We spend a lot of time avoiding what's obvious. Did you ever notice that? We spend a lot of time avoiding the prophets in our the, the problems in our lives. We spend a lot of time avoiding the elephant in the living room. And John the Baptist, man, he nails it because he sees it. And he calls out the root cause of all suffering in the human condition. And it's this. He lays out the problem is with you and with me. Give you an example. When I was at Penn State, y'all know I went to Penn State, right? I went to Penn State. Anyway, when I was at Penn State, there was a section right across where I lived. I lived right downtown and, uh, in, in State College, which is where Penn State is. And there's a, a strip called the Mall. And there's a building there called the Willard Building. And the Willard Building was a free speech zone. I wonder if it still is. But it was back then. And you could get up and say whatever you wanted in front of the Willard Building. And there was this one guy whose name was, I don't know, but everybody called him the Willard Preacher. If you went to Penn State, you know who the Willard preacher is. He was a guy who would stand out there every single day, and as kids would walk by, he would yell out to them things like John the Baptist said. You brood of vipers, you're out drinking and sleeping around and doing drugs. You will stand before God someday. And people would, most people would sort of ignore him. But every once in a while, people got really, really angry. And I saw that once with him. He was never mean, but he was clear. And they would, he, he, they, would, they would spit at him, they would scream at him, they would yell profanities at him, all in the name of tolerance, right? Well, that, my friends, is John the Baptist. 
And, and John the Baptist does not scream like a crazy man because he hates people, but because he loves them. He's a prophet. He sees clearly the very things that you and I try to cover up. Let me give you an example. Has everyone ever called you on the carpet for something? Anybody? Anybody here have a wife or a husband? Great. Or has anybody ever raised a part of your personality or character that you spend so much energy trying to stuff, and when somebody calls you out on that, what's your reaction? Gee, thanks, honey. Thanks for reminding me that I'm just like my dad. Right? I mean, seriously, what happens when somebody calls you out? They know you, they love you, and you spend all of your time trying to stuff it. And when somebody calls you out, what's your reaction? Your reaction is anger. But the problem is, you see, what John the Baptist is offering you, what Scripture is offering you, is an opportunity to come clean. Listen, prophets, Scripture, do not speak in judgment. It speaks in love. I'll give you an example. Say you went to the doctor and you said, Doc, I got these problems and they run tests on you and the doctor comes back to you and says, well, I got your results back on your, on your test and you're testing in some, I don't know, I'm not a doctor. Dr. Large is, but I'm not. And the doctor says, well, the test looks like you've got pancreatic cancer. How dare you tell me I've got pancreatic cancer? How judgmental of you. No, that's the point, right? You would never say that. The doctor is diagnosing the condition of your body. John the Baptist is diagnosing the condition of your heart and mine. John says something very profound. Listen to this again. He says, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. What does that mean? I'll give you an example. Anybody here ever heard of a place called Masada? Anybody? Uh, if you don't, you should Google it when you get home. It's a, it's a famous fortress in, in the wilderness, actually probably not far from where John the Baptist was. It was, a, it was a Roman fort on a mesa, big mountain, and it was on sheer cliffs all the way around, had a water supply in it, and it was basically a fortress the Romans held until the Jewish revolutionaries took it over in about 66 A.D. The Maccabees and the Apocrypha is all about this, the book of the Maccabees. Anyway, these Jews are holed up, these Jewish rebels are holed up in the, in the fort of Masada, and the Romans went to the, boat, the bottom of that mountain, and they looked up and they said, hey, Josephus, we got to get them Jews. You know what they did? They built a road. It took them years. They built a road from the bottom of the desert all the way up to the crest of Masada, under fire, under slings and arrows, they built a road. They made the path straight. What John is describing, and make the path straight, friends, what he is, and making the mountains low, he's describing an invasion, but not an invasion of the Roman army. He's describing an invasion of God to your heart. John says, make his path straight. John is describing an invasion, not by the Romans, but by God. And what John is saying is that God will return. And he's reminding us, be ready. First point, the cause of our suffering. John, again, the prophet, he nails it. He says, you, y'all, you individually and plurally, and me too, I'm under the same condition here. You know that you are the cause of your suffering. Now, if you cringe at that, stay with me a minute. 
Because that's not, not always true. Sometimes people do do things to us that cause us hurt and grief, right? Anybody here been hurt by somebody else? Of course you have. But here's the thing I want you to understand. Even so, sometimes we had something to do with it, didn't we? And sometimes we remain in dysfunctional or dangerous relationships, don't we? Know why? Because we are the cause of our own suffering. Most times our problems are problems of our own making, John says. We are the cause. You are the cause. I am the cause of my own suffering. You spend your whole life chasing money. Guess what? You're going to, at the end of your life, have a nothing but money. You spend your whole life serving yourself. You will die of an old man or an old woman with no friends that nobody wants to have Thanksgiving dinner with. My point is, man, it sounds judgmental and it sounds condemning, but own this, man. It's not until you recognize that you are the source of the suffering in your life, only then can you change it. See, John's words are not judgmental and condemning. They're empowering. They're empowering because only when you recognize that you are fallen and broken, that you are sinners, so am I, God knows. Only when you recognize that can you actually do what John tells us to do to solve it. It leads me to my second point. What does that look like? If, it's, if we are the cause of our own suffering, then what does God's solution look like? Well, John says, says it in one word, repent. Now, let me, let me just stop there for a second. That word repent, what does that mean like? What does that sound like to you? To me, it sounds like judge, repent, right? Ah, some angry preacher from the pulpit just yelling at people in some hypocritical manner. No. That word repent that John says, it carries a lot of baggage in our hearts and in our, when we hear it, but it actually, all it means, all the word repent means, the Greek word is metanoia, and it means change direction. Stop what you're doing and go the other way. I mean, a picture you're driving down the street and there's a man holding a sign, bridge out. And you go, ha, I don't care about that. What does he know? Well, guess what? That's what John is saying. Stop and do what you're, stop what you're doing. Turn around. Repent. Make a change. Own it. John is saying the very same thing, friends. If you want freedom, if you want liberty, if you want joy, if you want peace, repentance is how you do it. And if you, if, you, if you think, you know, in my, I will, I will confess to you that for a long time, John the Baptist was to me this crazy, you know, wild-eyed man who was frothing at the mouth and kind of a weirdo, right? I mean, he lives in the desert, he eats bugs. A little weird. But interestingly, if you look at verse 5 in that bulletin, it says that John is out in the, in the wilderness saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn around, own it, and change but notice in verse 5 it says that all Jerusalem went out to see him. All Jerusalem and the surrounding area went out to see John. Well, listen to that for a minute because crazy people don't draw large crowds, do they? I mean, they'll draw large crowds for, whoa, look at that strange guy over there. But people aren't going to go, I got to hear what this guy's got to say. People are not going to go hear John the Baptist if he's not, what he's saying is not true. And here's the thing. John gave good advice to them and to me and to you not because it was easy, but because it was true. And all Jerusalem, like us, all these people knew they were burdened. They knew things were wrong. They knew they had to repent and change. They knew they wanted to be free. And John says, if that's what you want, 
Repent. Change. Let me, let me ask you this. What do you need to repent of? What in your life are you doing that you shouldn't be doing or you're not doing that you should be? There's probably lots of things. If you don't know, ask your friends or ask your wife or your husband. I mean that, honestly. Ask, somebody, or ask your priest. Ask somebody who knows you well, who can see it with, wisely and say, Here, here's something you need to work on. Here's something keeping you enslaved. Here's something preventing you from being the person that God wants you to be. And there's probably lots of things. Just pick one, man. Just pick one thing. And these things that keep us from God usually take, according to Paul's or uh, John's words, are two, two forms, mountains or valleys, right? Mountains are things that get in the way. And we need to knock them down. Valleys are things we need to fill up, forgive, and move forward. Friends, these mountains and these valleys, according to John, they keep us from God. And we are called to make straight the path for God by repentance, by owning it, by turning away from these things and turning back to the Lord. So here's the question again. What's one thing you need to repent of this Advent? One thing. Start slow. <laughs> What's one thing you need, to know, you need to own it? And again, I'm not expecting you to be perfect. Neither is Scripture. Scripture knows you're going to blow it. But only if you name it and claim it, only if you own it will you change it. Only if you own it can you change it. At least my third point then, then what is this freedom, what is this freedom then that Jesus offers to us? Well, let me, let me dial in on this for just a second. Advent is about the end of the world. Christ returning, be ready, be ready. Did you ever wonder, did you ever wonder, did you ever wonder what's taken him so long? You ever wonder that? I mean, if, if scripture, speaks, scripture speaks repeatedly over the imminence, the, the, the uh, be ready, be ready, be ready. Well, come on, man. It's been 2019 years. Can we, get a, can we get a move on, right? That's kind of where my heart goes somewhere. You ever wonder that? Well, two things. First of all, as Father Gritter mentioned last week, you will meet Jesus in your own lifetime. So that does shorten the clock just a little bit. <laughs> and secondly, Scripture actually tells us why he delays. I'm going to show you this. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 says this. This is Peter writing to the church. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that means Christians, that the Lord, with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. God does not exist in time, remember. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, like me. But is patient, listen to this, is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. There's that word. In other words, Jesus delays his, his coming. Jesus delays the end of the world for only one reason. And that's because he loves you and me, and he loves the human condition, and he loves humans, and he loves people. And he wants to give everybody an opportunity to return and come back to him before it's too late. That's the only reason. He waits until the very last minute because he wants to offer as many people as possible the chance to repent and be free. Friends, all of salvation history can be described as God calling his people back when they have strayed. The entire Christian walk is a two-step forward and one step back. Repentance and return. Repentance and return. That's the name of what we are called to do. 
And only a loving God would offer, would, would delay to offer every one of us an opportunity to joy and peace that he promises. So let me challenge you this Advent as I wrap up. Let me challenge you in something I just made up yesterday. <laughs> Join me in the Advent challenge. Join me in the Advent challenge. Pick one thing, just one thing, that you need to repent of and do it. The ball's in your court. Nobody else can repent for you until you own it and make a decision by God's grace to change it. You'll never change. So the Advent challenge for me and for you is this. Pick one thing, repent of it, and ask the Lord to help you make a change. Where in my life do I need to repent and return to the Lord? Lord, where am I being more and more ready for his return? It's the Christian walk, friends. It is the Christian walk. And today, John the Baptist reminds us clearly, repent and be ready. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for John the Baptist, the consummate straight shooter. Help us to hear his words, not as judgment, but as a loving reminder from a loving God who loves us. That the time is indeed short and every day is a new day to turn and follow you. Thank you, Lord, for showing us the true freedom that is found in repentance and return. And for people like John the Baptist and people you place in our lives who hold us accountable because they love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook. Mm-hmm.